This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, February 25th, 2021. Adam Hall is on the other line. I'm Nico. We're your hosts. Yep. Still in quarantine, still suffering from the old Rona. The old Rona, the good buddy Rona. Making a, I, I, uh, a steady recovery, I would say. A slow but ste- steady recovery. I'm, 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 I lied to our, our listening audience, by the way. I told them that you had died when we did the Judge Dread pod, but for some, somehow you came back. You um, came back. Yeah, Andrew Cuomo undercounted me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you're one Dirt. of those numbers. I'm just, just one another of those number. statistics <laughs> that the governor of New York is lying about. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm sorry to disappoint the listening public, but here we are again with another episode. There was a party, Nico. We were celebrating. We were happy. We were allowed to eat more than McDonald's. It was just, it was great. It was great. (laughs) Where's my cut? All right. (laughs) Pay up. He's suing our ass now. <laughs> hey, uh, doing your fucking parties. Um, yeah, we're we're here talking movies. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have been in my bedroom for the last week and a half just crushing tape because there's not much else to do. Um, and I've just been watching nothing but NBA basketball and the newest releases of the day. And yeah. so, uh, you know, we figured we would we would uh, just sort of catch up on what we've been watching. Talk yep. some flicks. And uh, and get out of here, and then return to our regularly scheduled programming next week. Yeah, whatever that's going to be. I don't know, but we'll do it. We'll give it a yeah. shot. Um, how how is uh, your life in the in the world of of film? Oh God, I mean, I've I've seen I've, from last we talked on on this, like in terms of like talking about new releases. Yeah, the last thing we really talked about was Malcolm and Marie. Yes. Yeah, and that didn't go so well. And I, th- I think I'm going to make Malcolm and Marie a running gag because one of my reviews, I referenced Malcolm and Marie and I, I realized, you know what? This is kind of funny. I'm going to stick with this. Might be kind of a zeitgeisty movie, this Malcolm and Marie. <laughs> might, have some, might have some staying power. I'm not sure for the best, probably for the worse. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's zeitgeisty in the way that human centipede is zeitgeisty. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. And, uh, I think both are as medically accurate as each other. (laughs) I think that's about right. I want to know who has a worse job, the doctor from Human Centipede or Malcolm and Marie's marriage counselor. Oh God. Which would you rather have? I don't know. The doctor (laughs) thing is unique. Like marriage which counseling's got to get Which boring. one is 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 harder to deconstruct? No. A literal deconstruct? human centipede, or the relationship issues of Malcolm and Marie? Just, <laughs> I would actually say the relationship issues. As I said on the human centipede pod, just pull your mouth off the butthole. Just pull it off. <laughs> just go. It's like yeah, it's gonna hurt, but just do it. You'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, if only uh, Malcolm and Marie had it so easy. <laughs> um, anyway, well, what, what yeah. have you what have you been watching recently besides Malcolm and Marie for the fifth time? Oh, I love that movie. It's such mm. a good movie. You know, every time I watch it, I I I get closer and closer to killing myself. 
Mm. But mission I accomplished. Have se- huh. <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, do you, I have, I guess, my list in front of me from from what I've seen since last we've talked. Should I just like list my movies? Uh, yeah. Why not? Okay. Sure. I mean, like, you know, like I, I don't know if I'm that interested in hearing your thoughts on like The Incredibles too. If you oh. watch shit like that, but like if it's worth talking about, yeah, hit me no, up. No, no, I'm, I, I'm talking about new releases, man, or, or, okay. or things that I have seen for the first time. Talk to me. All right. Well, uh, I guess here, here, here's the list. Uh, Come and see. I have watched. Uh, to all the boys, always and forever. Yep. Is that uh, part three in the To All the Boys yes. franchise? Yeah, hell yeah. I, I have not seen a single one of those movies. <laughs> I have seen exactly one now, and it's the third one, so oh. yay for me. Did you feel like you lacked some necessary context? Not really. Okay. I got it. It made sense. Did you sense. feel like there were some boys that she loved that you were not privy to? It was just, I just couldn't stop crying, Nico. I was okay. crying all the way through. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I Is watched- it really a tearjerker? <laughs> maybe maybe if your girlfriend's in the room it's a tearjerker <laughs> and, and by that i mean 50 percent of you are going to be crying uh <laughs> Did, okay what's the premise of those movies well the premise actually of this- continue your dvd menu and then we'll <laughs> and then we'll, we'll come back to it sorry by by the way uh my brother got me the criterion blu-ray of come and see for my birthday so that's pretty neat oh great okay yeah. what else you got uh, Jules and Jim by Francois Truffaut. Very interesting experience for me. Uh-huh. Uh, framing Britney Spears. which was, I also uh, watched that. I guess we'll talk about that. Judas and the Black Messiah. Another one. Uh, Judge Dredd. Yeah, we talked about that. Nomadland. And interestingly, a streetcar named Desire. Named Desire. Oh. <laughs> saw it for the first time in its entirety. Oh, wow. I saw I that thing s- in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. A streetcar named Desire. There we go. I said it right. Yeah. I believe that thing was almost called the Poker Night, which... I guess that makes some sense. ...is such a worse name. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> the, yeah, there are Poker Nights in that movie, but it's it's a terrible name. The Man. Poker Night. Yeah. It's Streetcar Named Desire is like one of the great names ever, and just Poker Night is nothing. Um, okay. So, uh, um... <laughs> Tell me a little bit about all the girls that loved or to all the boys I loved. That's what that thing's called. Uh yes. Okay, what is like the premise of that series? You honestly want to know the premise to this stuff? Yeah, I don't I like I I've heard that name several times. I just don't know like what the the hook is. Uh well, I mean in the first movie, I guess like it's it's about a girl who tries to get into a fake relationship and they she strikes a deal with this boy and you know, it's like a cool thing, but then she like falls in love with him and then she's with him for the rest of the series. Mm. That's the gist of how I understood. Bas- that's that's how that's the best Abby could explain it to me cuz she has seen all three of these things. Um and yeah, I was. I, I guess I was missing some context. I so it's it's still a different story. It's about a girl who goes on a field trip and falls in love with New York City. And the movie's drama is centered around her boyfriend wanting to go to uh, uh, Stanford. Stanford, I think. Is this Something. the same girl? Same girl. Same girl. Same boy who looks and sounds exactly like Mark Ruffalo, and it's very weird. 
Okay. It's very... I'm serious. Like, look up the lead actor of... Uh, uh, what the hell's the name of this Noah movie? Noah Centineo. I think he looks like a like a child version of Mark Ruffalo. Um. Wow, you're not wrong. And listen to I'm not the weirdest thing is his voice. Even oh. the voice sounds the same. Oh goodness, it's unbelievable. I kept I kept like turning to Abby like, how is that not Mark Ruffalo's kid? It's very weird to me. I just I don't get it. It's perfect. God, he's even been on talk shows where they point it out. It's funny. Yeah, he is, he is definitely Ruffalo. Holy <laughs> shit. Who, who's this other chick? Lana Condor? I guess. Three Lana days Condor. of the Lana Condor? Yeah. Uh, yeah how it, is she it, in the movie? Every, everybody's good. I, I didn't dislike the movie. I had I enjoyed it enough. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I said, it's about the a, a couple dealing with the fact that they're probably going to have to put up with a long-distance relationship. Like, mm. cool, that's, that's the fucking movie. <laughs> it's, you, you know, like... It's not awful. It is what it is. The the the, the soundtrack is un, is like a new level of bad. Mm. It, the worst thing about the movie is just how horrible the song choices are. But like, you know, in my in my final statement with my review is like, it is what it is. You've seen this uh, this movie before a thousand times. At least it's better than Malcolm and Marie. So better or worse than the Russian film Come and See. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh! Come on, man! Come on to all the boys, all the way. The Russian film, come and see. <laughs> it is Russian, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Soviet uh, era film. Actually. You were very excited about this movie on Letterboxd. Oh God! Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen you talk about a movie so glowingly in a very long time. Uh, yeah, and I've been hearing about this one forever, and I just haven't gotten around to it because. It just seems so dense, but maybe I'll watch it this this weekend because um, yeah, I got nothing else going on. I don't know if it's dense per se. It's a tough hang. It's okay. a it's it's kind of a miserable time if you if you want to you want to just feel like shit, you know, watch the movie. But it's like one of the best movies I've ever seen, and it could be the best war movie ever made. Jesus, it's like like unlike anything I've ever experienced. It's just it's just pure film poetry. It's like everything I ever want out of a movie. You know, I, I, I said in my review, like, I haven't felt this, this like, warm towards a movie since Blade Runner. And I was just like, like, like again, it's one of those funny moments where it's like, oh, movies can go and do that. They mm. can get that. They can get there. You know, I never even thought that they would be able to get there. And it's just so, like, like cinematically creative with some of its choices. And the editing is, you know, I would consider it amongst the best edited films I've ever seen, particularly towards the end. And it's, it's, it's a horror movie, man. It really is a horror movie. Like you, if you go into the movie expecting like, like, like exciting fights and Roger Ebert, funny enough, said this in review is that like, even though every movie is supposedly an anti-war film, the issue is that almost all war movies are meant to be exciting in some way, Mm -hmm. but there's no one in existence who would say that this movie is exciting or fun. It is miserable and horrible and it's not even like 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 exploitative with its violence. It's just the violence and the way it's portrayed is just grueling. You know, you just you just watch it and you're 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 heartbroken the entire time. Hmm. You know, and I just think the performance. It, it's I mean, it's driven by Alexei Kravchenko's performance the entire way through, and it is one of the most astonishing things I've seen out of an actor. And it, I, I the interesting he's like thing about twelve it, in the movie, right? He's so young, hmm. dude. <laughs> 
a couple things. I mean, first, it's interesting because I think like he's he's I like there are instances where I would almost say like he's overacting, but it actually works in a funny sort of way. Mm-hmm. In that, like, I mean, he's incredibly vulnerable as it is, but the performance is pushed just enough to sort of emphasize the sort of like like almost like surreal nightmare that he's experience experiencing like his, his performance like feels in line with the world. So like, I, I think, I think if it were any other movie, if it were directed by like a Hollywood director, I would say his performance is maybe pushing it a little too far, but because of the direction, it's just entirely in line with, with like, like the, I forgot the director's name, but everything that he was setting up for this, this basic, basically apocalyptic feeling movie. L.M. Kilmov. L.M. Kilmov. Who uh, also did a movie in 81 called Rasputin. Mm-hmm. Um, and doesn't look like much else. This was his last movie, I think. Oh, he's done a few things. I mean, it's mostly in Russia. Yeah. yeah he, he's kind of like a well-renowned director in, in Soviet Russia. This was his and, last movie in 1985. Yeah. He interestingly said, like, I've... That's it. I, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> yeah. like, that's that's what it was. He was like, I think I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. I'm, I'm done. I have a, a weird parallel, and I'll let you finish in a second about this this movie, but uh, I watched a movie over the weekend called Yi Yi, which is uh, a Chinese film from 2001 oh, really? uh, on the Criterion channel. I've been hearing about it for years, and I'm just like, all right, fine. Let's just take the plunge and do it. Uh, and similarly, uh, it's a movie by uh, I believe the guy's name is Edward Yang. Uh, let me let me make sure I get his name correct. Um, but it uh, it came out yeah Edward Yang is his name came out in two thousand one, and um, also was his final film. And the guy is not really known for much else other than this. Um, I think he died maybe five or six years after the fact. But it is also one of those like magnum opus moments Mm. where it's like this is you know all i am capable of putting out into the world i cannot possibly top this and uh it's it's the statement that i want to be remembered for um and it is it is pretty incredible because oftentimes you know directors come on and you know they make like one incredible movie in their twenties and are never able to recapture that magic. And, you know, Hollywood is just littered with these guys with this unbelievable potential, but clearly have run out of gas by the time they're in their fifties and sixties. And some filmmakers just get so much better with age. And it really, it has to do with the types of films that you're interested in. And, um, you know, Martin Scorsese cannot necessarily make Goodfellas in his eighties, but he might be able to make the Irishman in his eighties and some filmmakers are able to make that transition. Some aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is really cool to watch a movie like Yee Yee, which is um, so deeply rooted in like the human experience and something yep. that you can only understand when you're in your sixties or seventies. Um, and it is just another, just like beautiful, although long and sometimes tedious uh, just like what cinema is supposed to be. You know, yep, yep. I, I echo your sentiments pretty exactly for this. <laughs> it's funny when you when you you know like understandably like it's it's. I mean, often you like you look at a filmmaker and when they finally like give up, there's a bit of you that's like, dude, come on, seriously, like you can do more. But I I watch something like Come and See, and I'm I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to do anything else, dude. <laughs> I totally right. understand. It's it's why like like every time I hear like 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 
Quentin Tarantino say he's going to retire. I'm like, dude, like I, you're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> you're not there yet. Sorry. <laughs> right. But <laughs> make your come and see and get back to me, QT. All right. I mean, shut I mean, the fuck up, you jerk off. <laughs> I mean, it's a little different with him, just the way he presents himself. But yeah, <laughs> there's there, there's definitely like like a blunt sincerity, like like a blue collar attitude to like the way uh, uh, Ellum uh, t- talks about. It. It's like, no, guys, fuck you. I can't do anything else. I'm done. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just, it's it's not like you know. I, I believe that <laughs> that like the best directors, you know, it's a young man's game, and I just need to I need to get right. out while I can. Ugh, okay. Well, it's that arbitrary ten number that he's assigned to I, it as well. You know, it's, it's an like, image why thing. The, yeah. Like, just because we have ten fingers, human beings have decided that the number ten is meaningful, and so <laughs> like everything's base ten, which means uh, you know ten, twenty, thirty. That's supposed to be you know the nice round even number, but. Why can't 13 be an even number? Why unlucky, can't that man. be round? I know, but like let's uh like let's let's make it lucky. Huh? Let's make it lucky. Lucky number yeah. 13. Yeah, yeah, let's 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 turn the tables. Let's you know subvert. who said that? You what? know who said that? The crew for Apollo 13 and look what happened to them. Yeah, kind of a tough break. <laughs> Tough break. Yeah, sucks to be you guys. They should have just skipped the number. You know how like some floors do that, and like you know some hotels or whatever, some office buildings will be like, we're not putting the the number thirteen associated no. with the thirteenth floor, as if that's just gonna make the thirteenth floor disappear. This is. <laughs> like it's the fucking. Point. It's like the fucking floor from being John Malkovich. Yep, 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 exactly. <laughs> there's a bit of me that is like NASA. Like, you you won't send anybody anywhere if there's even a 0.1% chance of failure in your eyes. Right. Why would you why would you think that, you know what, we'll we'll gamble a little. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll put them up on number 13. <laughs> why wouldn't you take the supernatural element into any consideration? Yes. You're fucking NASA. <laughs> NASA. <laughs> why isn't there a witch doctor in the room? That's all. I just picture like a Catholic priest with the smoke swinging the chain back and forth, <laughs> blessing everybody. I mean, it's worth a shot. Yeah, why not? It's like it's not harming anybody. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, mean, you could calculate the 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 moon rocks uh, like <laughs> location by like a third of a centimeter like why isn't like a fortune teller there with a crystal ball yep you know maybe know. just apollo 14 mm. anyway someone's <laughs> lucky dog lucky monkey i don't know it's anything a fair point it's a fair point just... get a rabbit's foot in there <laughs> yeah. um cool uh so okay what else what else did you want to uh hit uh jules and jim was a very weird experience for me okay it's when I watched it, it's 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 a movie about a, uh, two best friends in in kind of like the strangest love triangle I've ever seen in a movie where they just are like okay with it, and they juggle this woman back and forth throughout the entire movie. It's very weird, dudes. What what's it, what is what is up with like the French, like in open relationships? I don't know. I don't know what was happening was, during the French New Wave because a lot of the Truffaut I, and Godard movies are about this. 
Yeah, I know. I, I, I was trying to wrap my head. I, I don't know. Maybe that's how they wanted to push the boundaries. We need more like, 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 like devil's threesome relationships. I just think the French get down that way. I don't know. They get down that way. I just think it's the French. I just think it's the stinky French with their baguettes. The, st- the stinky French. You <laughs> yeah. hate the French. You hate the French, Nico. I do not hate them. That's not true. <laughs> you hate them. You hate those frogs. <laughs> uh, they Hey. <laughs> they gave me fries. So They didn't give you fries. <laughs> why do I have to be Zach right now? They did not give you fries. <laughs> it, it is a French cut, you dumbass. They gave me uh, Taken. They gave you Taken. You know, if there was no French tourism, the film Taken would not exist. So, and all, well, also Besson, Luc Besson. Luc Besson. Produced it. So, yeah, actually, I, I do like the French. All right. All right. They, yeah, what they are you also talking gave- about? I think I like the French more than you. That is not true. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely a bigger Godard fan than you are these days. I, I've grown, like, uh, Pierre Lefou has grown on me a lot, but. You know. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, I've, it's grown on me. I, I, you know, but I don't dislike uh, 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 Godard per se. I'm just like I don't fully get him, but uh, I do love the 400 blows. That's and um, I, I've I've spent some time learning a little bit of French, and I spent time in France. So I don't know. Do you know French? Not really, but okay. <laughs> every once in a while, when I'm listening to one of these French films, I pick up some some stuff now. So that's cool. Um, okay. Yeah, my experience with this was very weird. I, 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 I say this a lot, where it's like I loved and hated the movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and often that's meant to be like an exaggerated statement. But I think I loved and hated this movie at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like conflicting emotional feelings, where it's like I think this story is ludicrous, and I think these relationships are ludicrous. But I'm vibing with this movie so hard. Mm. Uh, it's dealing with issues that I traditionally get very tired of and frustrate me to no end and often don't make any sense to me. But again, like the characters and the energy of the movie is so lively and it's so undeniable that I just I kind of had a blast. I didn't even think the ending fully sold, but I, <laughs> there's just something about um, Truffaut's voice in this and his handling of character that is, you know, very nuanced and special and so specific to him. And I... Yeah, had a had a <laughs> had a confusing time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, French movies are just all vibe, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's what these things are. They're they're vibe exercises, and they're also just like exercises in coolness. Yes, and you know, much of what in we coolness. think of, you know, much of what we think of now as like very traditional Hollywood cool. It's sort of derived from that French New Wave um, and what, you know, the actors in, in Truffaut and Godard movies were doing. Um, Breathless in particular. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when we, we were talking about this when Breathless was nominated uh, a couple months back. But Jack Nicholson's entire career is really owed to Breathless. Um, you know, you, you can just see so much of just like the fashion, the attitude that that sensibility that we now understand as movie stardom um, really came out of France. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm always into that. I know you're not always into that very specific kind of filmmaking. And um, I get it. Like, you know, you're a, you're a big fan of form and structure. And uh, 
I kind of like just sort of a meandering movie with characters being sexy. Um, oh, <laughs> well, it, I guess we're foreshadowing that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, like, like I, I, I guess you're kind of right. But, but like, come and see is not like it's, it doesn't have a tremendous amount of structure uh-huh. all the time. It kind of does, but then it kind of doesn't. It's an interesting movie in how it jumps back and forth from like common narrative to like surrealist motion if that makes any sense it's not a movie that has like a lot of traditionally like like i don't know it has no like 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 hodorowsky surrealist crap going on but it just feels like you're in a nightmare right just with the you know with 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 the especially with the way the camera is used the character it's one of the most dreadful uh examples of the character being a a character where the mm-hmm. character just feels evil when you're watching it. Yeah, the camera being character. Yeah, 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 exactly, okay. exactly. Cool. And and that kind of lends to it a little bit more. Uh, nice. Um, so yeah, that's cool. Uh, maybe I gotta check that out. One one of these days we have to like. I don't know if it, if a if a French New Wave pod is is called for. Maybe like that's too broad, but I do need to. Take I have a deep my favorite. Yeah, I, you'd love the 400 blows. I know that. Um, I love really, that. We, we, I love we need an excuse to talk 400 blows. I think at some point, you would. I think you would love 400 blows. It's, it's very like your kind of thing, in my in my opinion. But cool. I love uh, Agnes Varda's Cleo from Five to Seven. That's up there too. That's a okay. beautiful movie. Absolutely beautiful. It's like a feminist film done very very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just, yeah, like, like that stuff's really sweet. And I think like you know, even though like I'm like Breathless is not entirely my thing. Like it's it's obviously in the conversation. I'd be an idiot to suggest otherwise. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And no, Jules and Jim was a very, very interesting experience. You know, I, I, I can't say it's going to be like amongst my favorite of his, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's unforgettable. You know, I, I can't say like it, it compares to anything else. I wouldn't even say it compares to 400 blows and just it's, it's sense of approach. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think actually that, that will lead us into a good conversation uh, in a couple minutes. We have a couple more movies to talk about, but the main two, um, I think are very interesting, mm-hmm. um, as a contrast to one another. I was gonna say uh, in talking about, when you mentioned uh, Yee Yee, yeah, I want you. You have to watch uh, in the mood for love. You really got to do it. Yes, I know, I know, really I know, I know. I will. Uh, man, people love that Wan Kar Wai. Is it? Dir- oh, it's not directed by Wan Kar Wai, is it? Isn't it in the Yee? mood for love? No, 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 in the no, mood no, for I, love. Yet. Yeah, yeah, in the mood for love. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, I believe it is. Yeah, and I it's. Need- that's a perfect movie. There's not a single conceivable thing wrong with that movie. <laughs> Seems like a very me movie as well. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, Yee is pretty breathtaking, though. I got, I, I got to say, right. um, right, it is right. a sprawling like family melodrama. Um, actually, similar to Tears, Terms of Endearment in that way, um, okay. just in its scope and how many characters there are, but uh, like so much more subtle in Terms of Endearment um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean the the relationships in these characters are so layered and so complex. Um, it, it it's the type of movie that just lulls you in. You know, yeah. it's like by by, you know, maybe in the first half hour or so, you're a little apprehensive because it's like, oh man, there are a lot of long shots of just people mm. arguing at weddings, and then by an hour and a half, you're like, holy shit, this little boy has spent the last ten minutes taking pictures of the backs of people's heads. And I am captivated. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's um, 
it, it, it's pretty breathtaking. It's on the Criterion channel if you are so inclined, if that is your sort of thing. Um, okay. But yeah. 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 All right. Sweet. Sweet. I also um, I caught the player on Criterion channel. I saw that. I saw that. Shout out to the homie Jabril for giving me his login. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just a tremendous service and, uh, God is the player. Just so my thing. Yeah, it's, it is. It is my thing to at, at times of fault. I mean, it's an incredible Hollywood satire. I'm not breaking new ground, telling everybody that the player is fantastic, but it is like Robert Altman's sort of late period comeback film. Uh, you know, in the shadow of the player, uh, hail Caesar looks so small. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it is like the same movie. I love Hail Caesar, but. Yeah, I do too. I've, I've grown to really love it as well. But it's, you know, this is another movie about like a Hollywood fixer that gets into some trouble. And, um, you know, it's sort of, it's a satire of the entire Hollywood process and like, you know, the egos that are in play. I mean, it, it is just such an awesome cameo movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Altman just entered the Rolodex and just started flexing back yep. in 1992. Like everybody is in this movie, and oh, most wow. of the time they don't have any speaking parts. They're just sort of oh, okay. in the background of a party, and it's like, holy shit, Elliot Gould is there, or like, oh my god, like uh, Malcolm McDowell has like uh, uh, like two lines of dialogue. It's it's just a great movie to just like play who's who. Um, and uh, it's funny as always, cause it's a, it's a, uh, an Altman movie and, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great. You should watch it. The player. It's very good. Yeah. I got to go through uh, the rest of the, the Altman catalog, you know, mm-hmm. cause you know, for the, mo- like, for the most part, I like, I like what I've seen from Altman. So, you know, movies always and forever. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Um, And then we also we both saw that Britney thing. I don't think I really have anything to add to the Britney discourse other than uh, I'm very upset for Britney Spears and I just want what's best for her. No, (laughs) that's literally what I said in my review. I was like, guys, I don't I don't know the full story. And like, I I don't think the documentary necessarily, you know, did, did the best job at like laying out all the pieces. It was very quick to say, like, it was very quick to make that point to say, like, this is what we believe, even though we don't necessarily have the whole the whole the whole picture, because, you know, we, we can't we can't talk to Britney. We can't talk to any of the real players. And that was the thing. Right. But like like I also said, like, I I just want to give Britney a hug. <laughs> Poor Britney, man. I just felt so bad for her. And it just made <laughs> it made me hate Justin Timberlake. <laughs> it makes you hate everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Really like, just makes you hate society for doing this to such like a sweet little girl. Yeah, I know. Oh um, my god, those opening scenes where she's like this ten year old girl and she's she's being asked these stupid fucking questions like, Do you have a boyfriend? I'm and, and I'm like, I know it's supposed to be cute, but yes, like Yes It was creepy. Ed yeah. McMahon is there Ed just Mc- being like, Yeah, so Brittany, tell me about your sex life. <laughs> it's like what the fuck? <laughs> what are you doing, man? From moment one, it is crazy to watch. Like, you know, the the stuff with her father is a, a lot of that is hearsay. Um, and, and like, you know, I, I don't know if the yeah. New York Times could have done a better job reporting that. I, you know, we talked about this on Two Cents last week. Rob's like, I don't think we know the full story here. It seems like Brittany definitely does have some issues. And 
like I don't know if a conservatorship would be the best solution for that or you know how well that's worked out um you, you just don't know that stuff is behind closed doors and so like I, I won't pass yeah. too much of a judgment on you know the Jamie Spears side of this but like all the stuff with the paparazzi and like the photog that was interviewed talk you know the the, the one that uh, that Britney smashed the the uh yeah. the, the car of <laughs> like all of that shit just watching how culpable really all of american society was in the in the tragedy of britney spears was really quite damning and and you know i was a kid when all this stuff was going down but i was certainly interested um and i know that it it worked on me the the paparazzi era worked on me and um it really does make you second guess that stuff i i think really jamie spears has been advertised as the the villain of this documentary and i i do think the american media is actually more of the villain i oh i completely agree that's the more interesting stuff about it though mm-hmm. it was kind of funny watching it though because i was sort of peripherally aware of a lot of this stuff even though like i couldn't it, it's not something like i could i couldn't draw an image of it in my head if you asked me to i just knew of the head shaving the smashing of the window you know right her slight comeback where she just walks off stage and doesn't do anything so uh, bizarre <laughs> But like on rewatch, it was like putting all that. First of all, it was like rejuvenating a lot of those images for me and then putting it in a wholly new context. Mm. So it just I grew up in like two seconds (laughs) with my relationship with Britney Spears. Yeah, (laughs) it was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's horrible. It's just it's awful what we did to this girl. But uh, yeah, it's there for you to watch. It's on Hulu. I actually think that it's not an actual documentary. It's a installment in this new york Times series that they do yep. for fx um mm-hmm. but yeah uh, it, it's very good i also watched a documentary that was made for comedy central called uh, patrice o'neill killing is easy um about this comic patrice o'neill uh not necessarily a household name but uh was a, a big boston comic in the late 90s and early 2000s uh was uh was really tight with Bill Burr. Um that's how I was actually introduced to Patrice O'Neill is he died in 2011. Um but uh a, a, but I was listening to Bill Burr's podcast. I think all the way back in 2009 I started listening to that thing. And uh when Patrice died, it was that was, he's basically Bill Burr's best friend. Um wow. and it was this horribly upsetting tragedy that happened and I just remember uh feeling so awful for Bill and I went through and I uh, I watched Patrice's stand-up special and all of his appearances and p- appearances on Opie and Anthony back in the Sirius XM days. And, um, you know, he was on Chappelle's show. He was in 25th Hour, actually. He plays the bouncer of the club at 25th Hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just like a brilliant guy who was yeah. impossible to work with and was an unbelievable ego. Uh, and, and so you know didn't get a lot of the breaks and a lot of the favors in the business that you know many other comics of his era did he you know was coming up around the same time as i said bill burr but also dane cook and so to see dane cook and patrice in contrast although they were friends growing up in boston together and and starting out in comedy like one guy is the definition of like uh a a hollywood darling easy to work with has like a, a a writing staff behind him and is able to sell out arenas because he knows how to play the game. And here is Patrice, who is just this brilliant truth teller 
Um, but sometimes his truth is hard to swallow and mm. uh, sometimes his personality is impossible to have him in the room. Uh, but he was a guy just devoted to truth and devoted to his truth. And like, you know, a lot of oh. that, w- you know, involved issues of race, but a lot of it was also like, you know, some misogyny. <laughs> and so, you know, that was part of it. Like the guy just, he was fearless and he just went for it. And, um, you know, could have been one of the all time greats, but also just didn't take care of himself. And that was, you know, he was a diabetic and I think had a stroke and that's what ultimately uh, led to his premature death. But, um, bad. if you, if you're not familiar with Patrice O'Neill's work, I would recommend just going on YouTube and looking up some of his standup and then watching this documentary. Um, you know, I, I just love those stories of like the people that could have been and, uh, that's what Patrice was, but just absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant comic. Cool. Cool. Um, cool, cool. And then I watched uh, I Care A Lot on Netflix. Oh, I saw the I saw the ending of that. I watched. Oh. I, I ended up like coming over Abby's and they were all watching it and I sat down and it was kind of interesting. Well, the ending sucks. So <laughs> that's a big problem. Uh, it, this movie, by the way, stars Rosamund Pike um, as a a uh, well. It, actually, this is an interesting double feature with the Britney Spears doc because what? It's a movie about a legal guardian. This yeah. is uh, this is a, a woman whose job it is to be paired with old folks who yeah. don't have anyone to take care of them and cannot take care of themselves. And what these uh, these women do is uh, look over the the financial and uh, and medical uh, issues of an old person's life. And, uh, you know, in this particular case, Rosamund Pike is a horrible human being who uh, uh, in collusion with a local doctor uh, conspires to take away the legal rights of very wealthy old people. Yeah. Uh, and then takes a sizable amount of their fortune uh, away from them because they are technically the legal guardian and they can do whatever they want with uh, with the, these old people's money. Uh, but Diane Weist is this old person who doesn't have any kids, apparently. Uh, however, she's very wealthy. And um, turns out that Diane Weist's son, uh, played by Peter Dinklage, yep. is a mob boss. <laughs> yep russian mobster and uh the plot thickens from there this is a movie with no good guys at all no nope. uh it there there are in fact no real people in this movie it is just a movie about horrible monsters doing monstrous things to one another and it is often quite funny and quite biting uh and look i'm not that guy that's like oh who do i root for here I'm not usually that that type of uh, film watcher. Like I am cool with a, a biting piece of satire. I am cool with an acidic movie like this more times than not. But like I don't know, it, it it's not it's not Wolf of Wall Street where the the behavior uh, you're you're sort of made complicit in the behavior. You know that movie yeah. is hysterical and at times like looks very fun, and that's sort of Marty's. Uh, uh, point in making that movie and, and you know you're so wrapped up in the lifestyle of Leo that you sort of forget that you're watching a monster do horrible things to other humans yep. whereas this one you never forget that and you are reminded time and time again how horrible these people are and like there are times where I am rooting for the Russian mob to like succeed <laughs> I and s- 
you know i don't know i don't know if that's like an indictment on the movie or not but it is a it is a very bitter however entertaining movie i have to give it that it was entertaining from what i saw of it and i but it's funny you mentioned that though when i saw i think it was like the last like half an hour of the movie and even then i wanted rosamund pike to die pretty quickly yes (laughs) like the scene where like she's like sitting down and she's been abducted and she's in like the like you know the sicario like field when they yes. shoot Benicio. Uh yeah, it's it's like it's like that and you know they're going to kill her and I I was just like, yeah, I don't like this person at all. <laughs> right. And I don't know, I much prefer seeing Peter Dinklage when he says like get rid of her, make it look natural. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's so weird that the movie sort of like in hindsight tries to be like a girl boss feminist thing. And it, that I just found so weird. Like the the, the there's a lot of Thelma main... Louise here. I thought yes, but like I don't know. Like Thelma and Louise are having fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the difference. I would also say you know, and you kind of want to be Brad Pitt in that movie. Like you kind of, kind of. Whereas here, uh, like I don't, I don't know. Like I just find these people kind of wretched, and. Um, like I, I don't think like your characters are allowed to be complicated. Obviously, sure. like you're allowed to have moral gray areas in your movies, and of, like of course, like portrayal is not endorsement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like I just think the movie kind of wanted to have its cake and eat it too. Like mm. the the two main characters are two heroes, quote unquote. Rosamund Pike and her partner are lesbians. Um, yes, and you know there is sort of this underlying feminist thing going on, and, and like it's almost like the movie's trying to say. Sure, these women are bad, but women can be just as bad as the Russian mob. You know, mm-hmm. it's like anything that anything reprehensible that men can do, women can do just as well, if not better. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I guess, but like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure you're breaking any glass ceilings by stealing money from old people. No, that that's you have to put it into some context, though. I mean. I, like like Wall Street dickheads fucking around on Wall Street, you know. There's a greater disconnect there. I would also say, yes, it's, easy, it's easier to like like fall into that world, and uh, it's uh, honestly, honestly, it's not as bad. <laughs> I'm not sure it's quite as bad. <laughs> well, it's it's not as overtly bad where you yes. see the victims. I guess. Sure, you know? sure, yes. Um, but but I, it's pushed but in also, your face. Yes, but I also think Wolf of Wall Street is just smarter about making the audience complicit. Sure. Whereas this never looked fun. This just looked vile. Um, I agree. From what and these people always just seemed vile. Again, it's entertaining. Um, it's it's got a very interesting tone, and it's not quite an action movie, not quite a thriller, not quite a comedy. Um, you know, it's it's one of it's actually a, a type of movie that they don't make a lot. Like Soderbergh used to make movies like this all the time, and normally they were heist movies. And you know, this one is a much darker, much more cynical sort of Ocean's Eleven. Um, I just wish they made more adult movies like this that had mm-hmm. a, a greater uh, variety in tone. Um, but yeah, it's fun. And Rosamund Pike is is pretty good in it. I love Dinklage, as always. Uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's great. Naked so. Dinklage. Naked Dinklage. Uh, yeah, you do get a little naked Dinklage, yes. A li- <laughs> as opposed film. to a big naked Dinklage? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. <laughs> it was too. It was too perfect. It was too perfect. <laughs> Do I'm I sorry. Have a-
teed it up for me way too well. <laughs> okay. Let's get to the main event. Oh, yeah. Two major releases uh, that may or may not be in the Oscar discussion. I, I think one for sure is. One in recent months seems like it's on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I think there's... Uh, I don't know. There, there are discussions to be had. Um, but sure. I, But... If we look at the movies that seem to be in, in the forefront of the Oscar race, it's very strange that Judas and the Black Messiah is not among them. No. Hey, given the fact, hey, I mean, it seems as though Trial of the Chicago 7 will be in that discussion, which is... Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. Ellipses, ellipses, ellipses. Yeah. Uh, the, the Golden Globes are this Sunday, so mm-hmm. we're going to really... I mean, th- those are not always the perfect bellwether, but we're going to get an idea at what each of these films are going to do in the next month or two. And um, I-, I will say this. I I do have a couple bets in Vegas on this, but there is a lot of momentum for Trial of Chicago 7. And right now it seems like it's sort of Nomad Ma- nomad Land and Mank. At least that is sort of the consensus. Yeah, I, I think that trial of the chicago seven is the typical like it's it's green book right yeah it is is the very safe and familiar you know political but not too political movie made by a guy that hollywood has shown affection for in the past mm -hmm. um and i i just think like we are on a crash course to disaster you think that's really gonna happen I think there's a chance. I think there's a good chance. We'll see. We'll see what happens at the Globes. We'll see. That that would baffle me. It's mm-hmm. it like, I mean, dude, I don't know. I mean, I, you really think they would go there? <laughs> I mean, I think sh- they might. I honestly think they might. I mean, Trial of the Chicago. I mean, we'll get to my feelings on the other movies, but like Trial of the Chicago Seven is like, I don't know who who in their right mind would possibly think it's better than those two movies. Yeah. Seriously, um, <laughs> like, it, it, like, like, what, what happened to you growing up? You must have not have developed properly if you honestly think that that thing is better than those other movies. Seriously, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't want to con- speak too soon. We'll see what happens on on Golden Globe night, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess it would cap off 2020 for good <laughs> if the yes. Oscars fucked up that gloriously, where it's like they 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 succeeded with flying colors in 2019 or with the 2019 mm-hmm. Oscars rather. Right. Or I guess a 2020. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. You think I, I think it's that. possible. I do. I, at the very least, I know Judas and the Black Messiah isn't doing shit. Uh, I know. Like, what's the, I don't know. Um, anyway, but so we have these two movies, uh, Judas yeah. and the Black Messiah, which debuted on HBO Max two weeks ago and Nomadland, which debuted on Hulu last week. What a world yep. we're living in. Where it's like every weekend an Oscar contender is just dropping on a streaming service. Um, there are two movies that I, I definitely do wish I saw in the theater. Um, but I also think they're two very different types of Oscar movies and two different types of political movies. Um, it, however, they, they both do have politics in them. I thought it was interesting. And this is the, the very thin line that I will draw connecting these two films, even though I do think they're very different. Um, just for the sake of podcast narrative. Okay. <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah has a lot of very radical politics in it. Um, and, you know, I think that's part of the reason why it's not doing so great at the Oscars. Um, you know, it, it, it goes places that a lot of 
certainly movies of of uh you know the civil rights era and even movies in the the modern era it goes a lot of places that you know those films didn't really have the courage to go um and you know says very damning things about the fbi and how the black panthers were treated and uh you know the the fred hampton story and the story of the rainbow coalition is uh it's not sugar-coated and nope. it really goes for it but it's a very conventional story yes and and i i thought it was interesting that the movie uh in order to present those very radical politics um sort of had to to put itself in the departed box and it, it it almost and i don't know if this was like uh it, it, this was in order to get the movie made i don't know if this was like a financial concern or um you know if it in order to hold the viewer's hand they just had to pre- present us like a very familiar like uh like sort of crime story whereas nomadland is a movie that has politics in it but it's also very traditional in its themes like it's just a movie about hitting the open road and american idealism and exceptionalism uh and you know this the idea of freedom and uh, freedom can only be achieved by hitting the road like we've heard this a million times the 70s there were dozens and dozens of movies in the 70s about this very topic but because of the very sort of traditional and safe politics of that movie it's able to play around with the form a lot more Mm-hmm. And that's not an indictment on either movie. I love movie. I love both of these movies, as a matter of fact. Um, but it, it it just sort of struck me as interesting that in order to really say something groundbreaking and enable to, in order to say something radical and sometimes controversial, like you do need to sort of play by Hollywood's rules, and you're only able to sort of stray outside the lines when you're saying something that everyone agrees with. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's it's better to take. I I don't fully disagree with that either. Where it's like, I mean, if you want your voice to be heard, you have to you know give into that conventionality somewhat. And I mm-hmm. definitely agree that the movie does that. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I I don't know if at any point you said that, but I, I I don't think it really. It didn't pull any punches, in my opinion. That's what matters. Yes, I definitely. mean, I, it's 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 can be pretty blunt sometimes with what it's getting at and sometimes like i was like fairly shocked with what it was actually like expressing Mm -hmm. i couldn't believe the movie was actually going there and sort of illustrating the people the way that it was Mm -hmm. but it's a little more complicated than in in a lot of ways than i think some people might give it credit for i mean i i i I think of that scene where the black panther they go to that uh those hillbillies and they have the confederate flag there and they partner with those people and i don't I don't think that's a scene that would have played during the Trump era. Uh, interesting. Inter- that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, okay, that was a, that's something that's, that it feels like a, like an interesting convergence of ideals here to, to, to make a greater point and, and accomplish a, a much larger goal than what we were initially talking about. Cause I think a lot of movies in the Trump era that are talking about these issues, are not complicated at all. Right. And, and they're actually not treating the subject matter as fairly as they should. And they're not well, dealing yes, the with the idea all of the, the idea of building bridges, I think in the Trump era for both sides was, uh, um, yeah. sort of a stretch. I, un- I also understand why like a lot of those bridges weren't, you know, and I, 
they, they weren't always built in the, like, I, I totally understand it. It was, I mean, a, a lot of instances, it was just the way they, they needed to express themselves, you know, like the, the, everyone was just so frustrated Yes, <laughs> in that point in time. Like no one could like get a handle on like, like, like their feelings. It was just venting. It felt like the entire time. So I, I understand that. Yeah. It was, it, now, was, it was a, it was a prickly time for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> It was prickly time, <laughs> prickly time that we lived through. <laughs> yeah, but it, it uh, is it is kind of amazing. And, and just frankly, this is not a story that I was particularly familiar with. I did no, not either. realize that Fred Hampton at the age of 21 was able to unite a coalition of every minority, including like poor yeah. white people. That's so just, interesting to me. Yeah, though. to band together to to fight the power like I mean, it, it really is unbelievable to think about, particularly in that time. Like, we're divided enough now, but in the yeah. 1960s, to imagine a the Black Panthers walking into a white church with Confederate flags hanging yeah. and be like, we're on the same team. It was I mean, really interesting. This guy's fucking remarkable. I, like, this guy's amazing. How do you not love Fred Hampton? It's like, Jesus, this guy's the fucking man. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? Like, what? Like... God, if the FBI didn't fucking assassinate him, he'd be president and like yeah. we'd be better off. We'd have world peace. This guy, what can't this guy do? It was really remarkable, honestly. And that's the thing. I didn't expect the movie to be that at all. Not even close. Yes. And just the fact that it was taking the care w- w- with the story in this way and like really addressing like like the, the guy's... Uh, honestly, I guess the, the the title reflects it. His sort of messianic qualities, yes, and just like banding people together because it's a it's more of like a, a greater issue than that. I was like, you know, movie like like I, I haven't been surprised in this way because I mean, movies of this like I feel like I know front to back, which is unfortunate. I shouldn't be saying that about movies like this, but mm-hmm. frequently I come out of movies like this that are talking about very radical ideas, and I just feel like. I know how it's going to handle these themes and right. you know, th- for, for a movie like this to surprise me in that way was incredibly ref- refreshing. And it just made me very, very happy to see it realized in the way that I always felt like it needed to be realized. Yes. Um, the performances rock <laughs> are like, <laughs> they're fucking unbelievable. Awesome. It's one of those movies that we'll look back on. We'll be like, yo, Stanfield Kaluuya and Plemons did a movie together. Yep. And it like, all of them are just out, outdoing each other in each scene like it's it's <laughs> yeah. crazy these three it's, guys they are so good oh my i like it i it, it it really is like it doesn't feel like anyone's like a weak like it's just like great to see these every, this is the other thing like it's awesome to watch a movie where like every consecutive scene i'm excited to see an actor do his thing right it's great yeah kaluuya um it, it is like astounding to me how every movie i see him and it's just my favorite performance of all time in and like every movie he continues and even when he's in like a supporting role he's unbelievable in sicario he's unbelievable in widows yep. obviously he's great in get out this one he just steals every scene he's in i i don't know if he's going to win the oscar i i think he should be considered the front runner this this guy is just this guy he's british you're aware he's british right mm-hmm. Like, how is he able to, like, that voice, the affectation, like, yep. it is so believably American. Um, yep. He is just a, a charisma machine, man. The oh, guy yeah. is just radiant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's- uh, and then Stanfield is, you're, you're right, just this incredible, like, uh, 
centerpiece. Um, it it's so interesting to see the story through his lens um, because he's such like an unpredictable performer. That that's one of the things I love about Stanfield and why he's so good in Get Out, why he's so good in Atlanta. He has this sort of uh, you know, pardon the um, the the sort of sloppy metaphor here, but he he's got a real Kramer quality to him. In a you know? way, well, not I I kind of see what you mean, yeah. He's got, and that's sort of what his role in Atlanta, um, which is one of the great shows the last ten years. But he he's he has this sort of like offbeat, unpredictable energy. Uh, and here, I, I you know, as sort of like this conflicted double agent, um, it works perfectly. It, you know, m- much like Leo in The Departed, like uh, oh, th- he's so off kilter in this, and I and like his the, the mystery behind his eyes. I really think just like drives this entire performance. Uh, and then you got Plemons. Who's doing his Plemons thing and, you know, is ostensibly the villain of this movie. I I think J. Edgar Hoover is more like overtly, unambiguously evil. Um, But Plemons isn't. Mm -hmm. And part of that is how the character is written. But I also think part of it is how he performs it. Uh, He's just kind of this, you know, wannabe FBI superstar who thinks he is doing the right thing. And I just love the scenes with him and Stanfield together. Like when he first invites Stanfield into his home and says like, yeah, make yourself a drink. Stay a while. Like you (laughs) you can just, it's implied. It's never explicitly said, but it's implied like, yeah, I'm going after the Black Panthers, but I'm not racist. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm just doing the right thing for my country. Like, look, I'm letting a black guy in my house and. You know, you can tell like the guy is so aspirational and, you know, the scene where he's there with Hoover and Hoover's essentially asking him like, so you hate black people, right? Like you're on you're on our side, right? You 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 hate the blacks as much as we do. He's so conflicted in that scene. And it's almost like it's a great scene, but he's almost like confronted with this idea like, oh, this is what I've been doing it for the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, I mean, it's just an actor showcase in so many ways. And all three of these men are just superstars. I, w- I would say, too, like a lot of a lot of the scenes you're talking about are not even totally driven by dialogue. It's just like watching the nuances on their face, mm-hmm. which is why, like, these characters are so fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's just great to, like, watch, like, what they could be thinking about in these really conflicting moments, like what you just said. But Lakeith Stanfield, is especially, <laughs> just every scene he's actually thrust into it, like, w- especially when he's put at gunpoint. Yes. And the entire time, I'm just like, like, like trying to figure out like where are you falling on on this side are you an fbi agent or are you a black panther and the volley that you play in your head with this guy is is like the most entertaining thing about the movie the only the only thing i back up on with this movie the only like i guess slight criticism is that and i i I think it was done intentionally i'm not sure this was this was you know like like a like a mistake necessarily but it was I, I'm not sure I totally bought the friendship between Lakeith Stanfield's character and, and and Fred Hampton. Okay, a little distant for me. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure the betrayal landed as hard as it could have. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. You know, and but I do think though that the the Stanfield Plemons relationship definitely does land pretty hard. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, and so that the the sort of betrayal that that Plemons plays on on Stanfield. And I'm sorry that I forget in both of these characters' names, uh, although they are based on real people. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I like that. I, I think landed a lot harder. Roy Mitchell is Jesse Plemons and Bill O'Neill is the okay. Keith Stanfield. Bill O'Neill, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just a, a really incredible story too, is the other thing. It is. And it it, is. it's it really one is. that should be part of American history, uh, and that I was ignorant of. And, uh, mm-hmm. It's it's just the perfect way to tell a story like this, and I agree. I, I think you're you're one hundred percent right. It is radical in the right places, and it's also conventional in the in in the right places. Um, I agree. And uh, it's a story that's always going to work. You know, The Departed works. Feels like the sixth film in Small Axe. Yeah, same cinematographer too, by the way. So no shit. Yeah, that that's part of the reason why the vibe vibes are sticking with me so much. I'm like, this feels. Uh, similar in, in in certain ways to 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 a lot of those those entries. So it's incredibly visceral. It's one of those oh, movies yeah. I wish I saw in the theater. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just the cinematography is just gorgeous, and it feels like a big movie. It's a it's a movie where like this story feels like the most important story happening. Yep. Um, it earns that too because I think a lot of movies like this treat their stories with 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 such an attitude. But you don't always get that impression. But this one, oh yeah, oh yeah. But we got to give the credit there to Shaka King, who we haven't yeah. even mentioned yet, but he's the yeah. director of this thing. This is his Killed second it. movie. Absolutely crushed it. Killed um, it. So he is a friend of Ryan Coogler's. Ryan Coogler oh. got, it, got his hands on this script and, uh, and ended up producing this thing and bringing Shaka King on board. But they met each other back in 2013 at Sundance oh, when cool. Coogler won the Palm, not Palm Door, but whatever the... Uh, is it, is it the Palm Door at Sundance? For no, 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 no. That's at the Can. Yeah, it's the Audience Award. What, whatever they call it. I think it's the Audience Award. Yeah. Uh, the, the big prize at Sundance, Fruitvale Station, won in 2013. Oh, cool. Shaka King was there with his movie called Newly Weeds, which I have to go watch. Um, but for some reason, like Coogler just skyrocketed to stardom and uh, ended up getting Creed and. Uh, Black Panther and the rest is history. But Shaka King sort of remained this, you know, guy kicking around Hollywood trying to get his movies financed. Uh, so Googler decided to use some of his goodwill and be like, hey, this kid that was uh, that that had this good movie in 2013 has not gotten his shot at a big feature yet. So he brought uh-huh. him in and uh, was rewarded handsomely for it. And I think wonderful. he does a great job with this. So I think he does, too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought his choices were kind of wonderful, especially in that raid scene, which is horrifying. Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! And when they shift perspective to Fred Hampton's wife, or is it his girlfriend? I think yeah. I, think I don't think girlfriend. they were ever married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, is the the mother of his child? That's the important part. Uh, yeah, that was just just terrible. <laughs> Dominique Fishback is the name of that actress, and she's also she's wonderful in the movie. Awesome in this movie, like one of the un- unsung heroes of this movie. I think she's incredible. Yeah, um, the heart she gives to this movie is just unlike anything I've seen. God, that is that. Yeah, that that raid is just harrowing. Yeah. It's oh, absolutely God. harrowing. Um, yeah, it's 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 really good. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I think yeah, the best chance you have at the Oscars is Kaluuya for supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's your best chance. Other than that, I, I I haven't really heard it. Maybe cinematography. It might win a couple of those technical categories, but as far no. as I can tell, the best picture odds are at zero for this. Yeah, no, and I, 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 I would give it probably best cinematography. I mean, I think Nomadland is kind of the favorite in that regard, though. Maybe You're probably right. But, yeah, but my, you know, I, I, I have my, I have certain feelings on that. So we'll get there. 
All right, let's shift to Nomadland then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a movie obviously uh, directed by Chloe Zhao. This is her third feature, and the first one where she worked with a, 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 a name, with a Hollywood name, with a movie star. Frances McDormand is the star here. Yep. Um, and she, along with David Strathairn, are the only two actors in the movie, the only two professionally trained actors in the movie. The rest of this cast is populated by real nomads and wanderers. Um, recreating some of the the stories and events that actually happened to them uh and that is something that i guess chloe zhao is fond of doing this is her third movie the first two are in that same vein the writer from a couple years ago which i have not seen yet and i need to go watch it um apparently has a lot in common with this one uh just in the use of non-actors and uh, the sort Mm. of slice of life elements of it in the american west um but it is a movie about a woman whose husband dies and whose small town is sort of uh, uh, destroyed by the 2008 economic recession. And she hits the open road with her van and discovers things about herself and the world. Yeah, that's the movie. And I gather that it wasn't really your jam. Nope. Okay. Nope. It's good. As a matter of fact, it's really good. It's really good. Uh... I got nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I've seen, I feel like I've seen a lot of movies like this. I feel like it's, it's sort of obviously the one that's gonna win, you know? I, 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 I guess fine. I don't think it's the kind of movie that, you know, if it, if it were to win, like, yeah, that's cool. But I don't necessarily, I think it would be lumped into a similar category of movies where it's like, you look back and it's like, that one won? Really? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I, I mean, a lot of like the, the approach is very interesting. I will say that it's a, it's an incredibly different approach to 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 a material like this that, you know, I, I didn't fully expect, I guess. Um, I did, however, totally like 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 I, I guess like like feel my way through the story in a way that was familiar. I, I'm, I'm being very confusing here. The best way I can put it is like when I saw the trailer. I knew exactly what the movie was going to be. I felt like I knew everything that was going to happen. And yeah, like I, everything about the movie, I, I felt familiar to me in that way. And, you know, it, it's, to me, it was exactly what I expected it to be. So I was, I can't say I was like blown away about, by it necessarily. And it's it, on, on the subject of the approach to, 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 to handling a story like this, there are instances where it's, it's, kind of fascinating particularly with that that woman who's dying and who wants rocks thrown on her fire which i thought was beautiful mm. um but then there are other instances swanky, like with the, swanky. Yeah, swanky. Yeah. very interesting character but there's but then there's the old santa man and every instance with him feels like like a youtube video interview and i'm <laughs> like oh Okay, movie like it like he felt a little out of place and that's sort of the thing is like some of the non-actors like they're not doing a poor job but the way they're used feels very journalistic at times Mm -hmm. and very much like a documentary and it's the movie is sort of slowly swaying back and forth from being like kind of like a a very like fly on the wall tone poem narrative but then again also feeling very documentary and it's I, it didn't always gel with me, mm-hmm. but I can understand why it would for others. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, all in all, it's 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 a it's a very you know like I it's it's a vibey movie for sure, you know. Yes. And 
you're you're you, if if it vibes with you from the start, you're really gonna love it. If it doesn't, you're you're probably not gonna hate the movie, but you're gonna come out saying it wasn't totally for me. And that's kind of where I fell. You know, it was like watching a lost dog for an hour and forty minutes. You know, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> uh, well, put me in that camp, I guess. Yeah, I know. I know. That was captivated <laughs> by it. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it's actually my favorite movie of last year. Uh, it moved to oh, number wow. one for me. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, I, I I put it at number one. Um, Jesus. Okay. I I I actually adored it. I, I quite cool. adored it. And cool. um, it's like yeah, look, seven. I I actually think all of those criticisms are totally fair. Um, mm. You know, it, this is a movie based on a nonfiction novel. It was journalistically reported. Um, so you know, a lot of it does feel like conveying things that actually happened rather than artistically depicting you know the feeling of something happening yep uh and a lot of those performances you're right i mean they feel like non-actor performances um which is obviously a good and a bad like you strip away all of the hamminess and the actorness that comes along with you know putting actual actors in it um and so you buy yourself a lot of authenticity but yeah at at times it does feel a little stiff um i had no problem with it whatsoever um and I was just sort of captivated by these people because they really are fascinating people. And uh, I liked listening to them talk. I liked the way that they talk. And the big thing here is you have Francis, who <laughs> is this incredible focal point. Um, and as the sort of roots of the tree that everything hangs off of, she crushed it. Uh, you know, it, there were times where I felt like she was just playing Francis McDormand. Uh <laughs> Which, you know, she has that same sort of confidence and like assuredness and quirkiness that you you that you come to expect from her in like interviews. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, a lot of it just felt like Francis doing her movie star thing. But there were also times where I'm like, this woman is an incredible listener, and this movie's not really about her. It's it's just sort of through her point of view, and it's mm-hmm. looking at other people's stories through her point of view. Um, it, this is going to be a metaphor that you don't understand, but she's like a great point guard in that way. She's just like a great facilitator. It's like watching Rajon Rondo play. It's like Rajon Rondo is not a good one-on-one scorer, but in terms of getting other people good shots in basketball, he's incredible at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of what she is here. Uh, it, the New York Times review that I read about this, A.O. Scott wrote about it in the New York Times. It's like, this is anything but an Oscar bait performance. And that's what I love so much about it. It's in an Oscar bait movie and it might win a couple Oscars. Her performance might win best actress. Who knows? Um, But her performance is not like an actor trying to convey how a poor person acts. She's, She's just sitting there as like, you know, as the, as the sort of lightning rod for these other people to do their thing. That's her um, character, though, too. It's someone yes. who was thrust into it unwittingly. You know, it just sort of happened. And she very much feels like someone who, I mean, maybe like down to her core was always going in that direction. Mm-hmm. But it, she does definitely feel like a fresh face in all of this, you know, like like nomad culture. Right. So that's kind of why it works so well for me. Yeah. And if I will levy one criticism at the movie, it's that I'm not sure her motivation is entirely clear. And um, and and. It kind of felt five easy pieces to me. Kind of felt like Jack and five easy pieces where this character, it, you're not sure if this is the path that she's choosing or the path that she's been forced into. 
you know, like, uh, you know, her husband dies and it, the, the movie implies that it's capitalism and economic circumstances that her uh, that are making her hit yep. the road. Mm-hmm. But at times it's also like, oh, she has other options. Like she's clearly very smart yep. and uh, like she has this home life that she has this sister that is willing to take her in. And it's like there there are times where, you know, you're not sure what the movie wants to say about her. Oh, that, you're that sure what a, she wants to thing, say yeah. about her. Yep. You're sure what she wants to say about the other people. You're, you're sure what the movie wants to say about nomad culture, but her specifically and her role in this story is sometimes a little muddled. And I think it's because uh, she is Francis and both Chloe Zhao are leaving <laughs> so much room for the other people on screen that and this happens a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of times the point of view character is the least defined character in the story because it is from the point of view of the filmmaker. Yep. Um, and so like, I maybe wanted a little more meat on that bone, you know? And I, yeah, I, especially by the end too, where it's like, they, here's the thing. I could see someone watching this film and very easily just saying like it went nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they're totally wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, I derived something out of it, but it, it wasn't the most profound thing ever. Yeah. And, and I, I actually totally agree with you. It was actually, there was a lot of me that was trying to figure out what it like, like what the purpose of, 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 of Francis was beyond just like, like the, the, the As point of view character. Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, it's, it, it's cool, but like the movie is entirely from her point of view at a certain point, you want to know who you're walking along with <laughs> through <laughs> the entire movie. And they, they, they get around to that by the end. And I think the ending is, is pretty good, pretty good, pretty sweet. And I was sobbing. Yeah, no, I was not, but <laughs> fine. Uh, you know, it kind of recalled the searchers in a very different way, which I thought was interesting. See you down the road, Adam. See you down yeah. the road. Here's the thing. I'm not interested in any of these people. Oh man. I, <laughs> I totally disagree. Yeah, no, no, no. It's fine if you were, but I was not. I was just like, eh, okay, fine, dude. You know, I, I, I don't in the, even the see you down the road line. It's, you know, it's nice, but I, uh, honestly, dude, I wish they got an actor to sell that line. <laughs> Linda May, baby. <laughs> Linda May, swanky. It was I, lo- okay. I love these people. I really, I truly love these people. There were so many scenes where it's yeah. like, oh, this is actually what middle America is like. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. it, it is one of the most authentically middle America, like lower middle class movies I've ever seen. Um, and it, it is astounding to me that Chloe Zhao, who is a Chinese filmmaker, mm-hmm. is able to communicate the American experience like she is. Um, she's just like an incredibly generous filmmaker. And and that's you know, it, it it's so refreshing because they really don't make them like that anymore. They really oh. don't, you know. No, no, no. It, it's funny they talked about that on the Team Deacons podcast recently because they got the cinematographer for uh, mm-hmm. Nomadland to talk about that, and they discussed like sort of the inherent objectivity that filmmakers like that bring to such source material and how mm-hmm. they don't have to fluff it up and they don't have to you know movieify it at all. They're just taking it as it is, so it feels more natural even though they are so, like literally foreign to it. Right. It, it was it was very interesting. Yeah. She uh, just has incredible empathy and she just um, like, it, you know, I know she grew up. I, 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 I was reading some interviews with her, like grew up in China, but was always very, very obsessed with American culture and loved Westerns. And yeah. so she ended up moving to NYU to go to college. And um, and so she I, I had already 
come to America with a with a deep understanding of you know the tropes of American westerns and like it, it is really incredible to me that she's able to play around with it so deftly here, um, mm-hmm. but also just like understand how Americans behave, like how they talk to one another, how they're able to communicate. Um, and just her ability to work with non-actors is astounding. It re- I mean, that really is such an underrated skill. The skill of working with actors is uh, something that certainly modern directors and what we think of now as auteur directors yeah. uh, are, are not always given credit for. Um, and, you know, she's definitely an auteur, no question about it. But she's just she's not flashy. She's not flashy at all. She's just not like. It, it, at no point does it feel like she's insisting upon herself or her own skill set. Um, and I, I just think she does a wonderful job with this. Um, mm-hmm. Helped that I went to a lot of these locations uh, over the summer. Uh, Wall Drug, <laughs> I, I went there for a day. I was in that dining hall. So yep. I, I I knew exactly uh, like what that place was all about. And I also went to the, the Badlands, which... Uh, that the promotional shot that they're that they've been using of Francis in front of like those jagged mountains, um, I, I or those rock formations. I was just there, and it's a gorgeous place, and it's one of those places where it's like, why don't they shoot every single movie here? Yeah, because <laughs> uh, it, it's just so very cinematic. Um, so all that stuff in South Dakota was just beautiful, and also meeting a lot of people when I was out there and just talking sure. to people like there is just such a matter of factness to the way those people live um, mm-hmm. that it's just not here on the coast. And filmmakers often have a hard time understanding that I, I compared this thing to hillbilly elegy in my letterbox oh, review. God. And in many ways it's unfair. It's so unfair because they're not even in the same stratosphere, these two movies. <laughs> um, but you know, it, hillbilly elegy is a movie where Ron Howard and the screenwriters or wherever are, are, you know, it's based on a, a very popular book and, yeah. and it was almost like liberal elites on the coasts had gotten this novel that was like a treasure map to understanding conservative Trump America. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, and it's like, how do we decode this? Like, how, how do we how do I read this? How do I figure this out? And the only way they could comprehend middle America is through the very cynical lens of politics. Yep. You know, and so that movie, it's like those characters are speaking in bumper sticker slogans. Oh, yeah. You know, and and they're and they're like every line of dialogue. It's like, okay, clearly you are so far removed from this part of life that the only way you can possibly conceive the differences of these people is by putting a a bumper sticker in their mouth and and talking about it in a again, a very cynical way. Whereas Nomadland is just like, we're going to meet these characters where they are. And we're yep. just going to sit here and we're going to listen and we're going to try to understand them as people and not as just like uh, political puppets. And, um, you know, it's one of the many reasons why this movie is better than Hillbilly Elegy. But like <laughs> if, if you want to, you know, in a nutshell, understand like why cynical politics has no place in the movie world, like hillbilly elegy not to say you can't make a political movie this movie in many ways is political and has stuff to say but it comes from a very organic place and Mm -hmm. the the politics are there but it's not a political movie it's it's a it's a movie just about the real life struggles of these people and the politics comes naturally out of that uh 
And I hear a lot of people being like, oh, this movie lets Amazon off the hook. Like the depiction of the Amazon warehouse is too. It's not about Amazon. <laughs> but it's like, exactly. Like that's not what this movie is about. Like th- yeah. this is about the experience of these people and how they see the world. And uh, like, I'm sure that's sort of what an Amazon warehouse looks like. Like, like not every movie needs to be that bitter and like that acidic towards institutions. And um, yeah, I, I, I just really, I, I just thought it was gorgeous. I was, I was wrapped up in it and cool. um, yeah, it, it was my favorite movie of last year and I, I would vote for it for best picture if given a ballot. Oh yeah. I have it at, I think number 17 on my list for last year. It seems a little low, but mm. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I I was realizing when watching it, I don't give a fuck about movies that are about America. Okay. <laughs> I don't care at all. They're not very interesting to me. I only uh, care movies about America. <laughs> and, and the American people, like like ones that are like so specifically about them. It's like, God, I, I live with them every fucking day. I don't need another movie about them. <laughs> um, but like the the other the other thing is is just I mean at the to your point, though, one of the, the 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 more admirable things about it, and why I find this movie as endearing as it is, why I do I I do like the movie. Don't get me wrong, but you know, um, not totally my thing. Like I said, but the movie just ha- has you know everything you were saying. When you when you bring politics into this, it just takes away all the heart. <laughs> They're just yes. like I, I just feel like movies like that have no soul because mm-hmm. they, they they're trying to force an idea upon you instead of just being. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe this movie. It just is right. and just takes in all the. Details details like does it always work for me i mean not totally but you know could it work for other people absolutely so it's a hard movie for me to criticize at the end of the day you know mm-hmm. b- because it takes that sort of formless approach and because the movie does have su- such inherent soul and you know like you said just such beauty to to, to the way it approaches a lot of these ideas mm-hmm. you know or no ideas maybe no ideas whatsoever but it can still vibe with you in a way that's very profound. I don't know. The, the ideas are very simple. They're very, sure. um, you know, they're, they're, I, I won't say trite, but like we've been there before, right? Like sure. the freedom of the open road. That's, that's, you know, that that's again, all the entire seventies American new wave is that. Um, and you know, like Terrence Malick movies are, are very similar to oh, those. Yeah. Like, you know, Badlands is this movie literally takes place in the Badlands. And yeah. so you <laughs> see, there's a lot of parallels there as well. So it's not, it's, it's certainly it's it's not new terrain that we're staking out here, but um, it, it 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 works. Just it, it works. It works for me, and um, mm-hmm. it made me cry. And I love these people. <laughs> and uh, God, it just moved me. That's uh, good for you. Just good moved for you. Me. It was so. you know, yeah. Also, also to the to the common viewer, you're here's the thing dude like i'm happy it was it, it moved you but i think the common view is probably going to be occasionally bored by this one i understand yeah See, i was never really bored by it though like i didn't actually find the pacing to be that like slow it occasionally drags but not it's not as there are some people who have really leveled criticisms against it that think the movie is is like like suffers for it and i wouldn't go that far but there are instances where it 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 does kind of get to me, and honestly, the reason for that is that the movie's repetitive. Okay, uh, so maybe by nature it's repetitive, but um, the cinematography is incredibly repetitive for me. Okay, and that's <laughs> I think this is my greatest hot take with this movie. I don't really like the cinematography in this movie. Yeah, I I understand why you you might not. It, it's very muted. They use a lot of just 
uh, low saturation. Um, that's not even. I don't mind that. I okay. if, it, if it if the story calls for it, that's okay. It's repetitive imagery, though. Like I can't tell you how many shots in this movie are just a, a medium close up of Frances McDormand on the left side of her face. A lot of horizons too. Yeah, it's just this. It's like, oh my god, take a drink every time you take you see that shot. Right. <laughs> There's so much of it. I feel like the sh- that 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 shot that's being used, you know, in the trailers where she's walking from you know screen right to screen left you know and mm-hmm. it's just kind of tracking her across the campers that i feel like that shot happens like five times or something right <laughs> there's so many like similar shots in this the, the 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 car shot as it follows her down the highway is used multiple times you know and i guess that's the thing is like like visually the movie does not stick with me as well as i had hoped it would but Mm-hmm. I, I understand that it, it, it's sort of important for like like the documentary approach, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess that l- lends to my my greatest question with the movie. And that's like, did this need to be a narrative or should it have been a documentary? I've heard that a lot. Um, I, I, I kind of would have liked a documentary. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it blends that line. I mean, it's it's kind of a little bit of both simultaneously. Yeah. Um I think putting Francis in the center does bring this whole new dimension to it uh, that you wouldn't otherwise. I just think like, the you know, with the having that point of view and having that focal point, I do think is important in order to ground this thing. Um, and I actually like the David Strathairn stuff. I've, I've seen like a, some it's criticisms of that story. Um, but I, I kind of I, I mean, I love David Strathairn. I, I, I love when he pops up. He's one of my favorite character actors. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I love that scene where he like breaks her dishes and like is just bumbling oh, around yeah. and like gives her the licorice. Like I, I, I found that love story to be quite touching and and uh, and quite beautiful. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I understand your point. I, I, I would love hearing Swank hear Swanky um, tell that story about the swallows in documentary form or in narrative form. So I guess it wouldn't matter, but mm. uh, I think it works as a narrative. Did it have to be? Maybe not, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. which is okay. It's, mm-hmm. it, I just kept thinking I would have connected to it a much quicker had I known it was a documentary, I okay. suppose that's my only take, but yeah, no, no other it's yeah, it's a good movie. It's a okay. good movie. You know, what am I going to say about it? But uh, yeah, it's, it just, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to one of those movies, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to be alone on this. I, I, I think there are many people like you and many people like me who are just going to be like, yeah, good movie, but it's not my thing or holy shit, this movie touched my soul. Yeah. Uh, agree to disagree on that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah which is fine. Sure. <laughs> no reason to get mad. For sure. <laughs> yeah, no reason to get mad. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, movies. Always <laughs> and forever. Movies <laughs> or are now dope. more than ever. Now more than ever. Now more- <laughs> Why do you keep saying always and forever like that? What <laughs> the movie that I saw? <laughs> Why are you no, referencing it, it, that? It, it's, a, it's a quote from, uh, yeah, from, uh, from the player. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Well, now I gotta, more than I gotta, ever. Now, yeah, movies. Now more than ever. Sorry, that's the line. I think I, I misquoted it before. I got to watch that movie. Um, okay. Next week. What the hell are we doing? Coming to America. Oh. Is hitting Amazon Prime. We're going to review it? No, we're doing the Eddie Murphy pod, baby. Oh, no. I got to watch a bunch of movies because I haven't seen in a very long time. Eddie Murphy! Okay. One of the singular movie stars of the 80s. Um, 
there are five big ones. We're, we're going to talk just 80s Eddie Murphy here. And those five are 48 hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop 2, and Coming to America. Okay. How's that sound? So hold on. Uh, 48 hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Coming to America. That is That's correct. That's it? That is correct. Okay. Five movies. Yes. All right. I'm going to watch all of those. <laughs> Nice. Yep. Nice. Holy crap. Gotta watch. Jeez. Why? <laughs> I love to say that. Why are you doing this to me, Nico? <laughs> that uh, that will be, by the way, my second Nico's Choice podcast. So uh, is this what? Oh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll a, pay that off. We'll pay that off right now. Why do you? You, you got to like, like make it harder on me, though, dude. <laughs> it, you're hard to break, man. You're a tough egg to crack. Yeah, I like I like more things than you do. <laughs> That's definitely true. Uh, but yeah, Eddie Murphy uh, next week. Uh, can't wait to go back to the 80s and talk about those movies because they have always meant a, a great deal to me. So uh, this will be this will be fun. You know, I've only seen Beverly Hills Cop three. Wow. Yep. You know, Beverly Hills Cop two is directed by the boy Tony Scott. Is it our boy? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yeah, uh, it's a weird place to start. Part three. <laughs> who directed the first one? Isn't that like a one that we we talk about? The guy who directed Geely or something? Uh, yes, uh, Martin Brest. Ah, uh, okay, Martin Brest. All right, I, I believe. Yeah, I think I think he did Beverly Hills Cop. All right, you've seen all of these, I'm assuming. Uh, yes, I have. Cool. I may watch a couple more this week, though. I don't know. I might watch them again. Sweet. Yeah, I'll I gotta come over a few. So. Okay, cool. That's next week on the Movie Hall of Fame. Uh, until next time, Adam, uh, thank you. Uh, listen to Why Is This a Thing? You mm-hmm. and Nick did a very interesting podcast experiment this week, <laughs> remaking a previous Why Is This a Thing podcast. That is right. Uh, so I don't know what you think the results of that were. but I, uh, I thought it was uh, appropriately ridiculous. <laughs> okay thank you i thought it was fittingly absurd uh so go listen to nick and adam talk about judge dread the 1995 <laughs> film starring sylvester stallone uh for the second time on the podcast uh we, we did a judge dread review <laughs> no don't watch the old one watch the new one yeah and, <laughs> that's uh, what it is <laughs> And then uh, that's it. Uh, two cents radio. I'm going to get back into the swing of things. Of course, I've had COVID, so I've, I've sort of been taking it easy on the other shows. But uh, uh, we should be in full swing by next week. That's the plan. Okay. Love you. Sounds good. Yeah. Till next time. Yeah. Keep watching movies. Now more than ever. <laughs>